Hello and welcome to the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. Sigh. We are Rochelle and Carter. <laughs> Most people that sigh don't say it. They do if they're in a Peanuts cartoon. They do if they're trying to get attention. Are you are you sad that this is the last? This is the last episode of seeing Jesus in our favorite Christmas movies because we have run out of pretty much every Christmas classic we could get our hands on, so, except for a Christmas story. There's nothing to get out of that. The leg lamp. No. So when we uh, have the Seeing Jesus in Our Favorite Christmas Movies series, yes, no. we are talking about the last one for this year, but we also did it last year. So what we're saying is this is actually the last one forever because next year we wouldn't be able to come up with enough Christmas movies. Maybe we can't do a series, but maybe we could do a solo. You're springing this on me. We agreed that it's done. Now that we have everybody listening, you're springing this on me to try to make me the bad guy. I'm sorry. Can we take a second and can we remember the good times? sign your yearbook? Uh, will you uh, write HAGS? <laughs> what? Have a great summer. <laughs> we abbreviate it in all caps. Oh. The, it's been a great time. It's been a great time. And the exciting news, because it's the series finale, yeah. is that it's a double feature. It is a double feature. You have watched White Christmas. Yes. And I have watched Miracle on 34th Street. The, Technically, the I've 90s. seen both. Well, no, but for this, you're prepared with White Christmas and I'm prepared with Miracle on 34th Street. This is accurate, but I, I would like to say it. That you just didn't want to watch White Christmas. I don't. I We did It's a Wonderful Life, and I can only do so many old, old Christmas movies. Wow. So I'm doing the 1994 Miracle on 34th Street. Because it was made just a couple of years after you were born. Pretty much. And Richard much. Attenborough as Santa Claus, the old guy from Jurassic Park. You, it can't get better than that. Well, and and what's a fun fact about it is they asked Macy's to be a part of it because Macy's was a part of the first one. Yeah. What Macy's said at the time, 1994, mm -hmm. was we just don't want to mess with an old classic. But what was more than likely going on is real life was too close to the script because they were in bankruptcy at the time or something like it. Yeah. And they didn't want that negative attention. So they chose yeah. not to do Macy's. I liked both versions of that movie. Mm -hmm. Catherine O'Hara, I remember she was just this beautiful actress. And Natalie, oh my word, what's her name? Natalie, Natalie, it'll come to me. I almost said Grant and Portman, but it's not. No, it's it's neither one of those. <laughs> so. he, uh, West Side Story. She was yeah. in that. Just a brilliant actress. But um, yeah, we'll get to your movie here in a second. Let's let's talk White Christmas. And you've never seen that one before? No, oh, I have. I just didn't want to watch it again. <laughs> you don't like musicals. Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood. Oh, I knew I was going to get Everybody it. Okay. was yelling it at uh, us, yeah. too. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. Thank you for yelling. Natalie Wood. Yeah. Okay, so... This came out in 1954, and it opens with Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby, and they're standing in front of this fake white Christmas-looking banner thing, mm -hmm. the backdrop, and they are in the midst of World War II and the destruction around them. And you see the buildings, and of course, it's very old, so the, the sets were older back then. It doesn't look very realistic. But we all get the impression that, you know, these guys are— these are to represent the people who have really seen some tough times. And so gathering for Christmas and being able to at least sing some songs to remind them of home. If you are a military person, have a, a background without the military family, you probably can relate to that scene. 
And obviously you could add or detract from it in what reality you sure. actually did have to go through. Uh, Bing Crosby more than likely not standing there singing White Christmas and Danny Kaye magically getting an entire orchestra playing out of a music box that he's winding. But seeing the looks on their faces, it must have been quite an emotional thing for the vets of World War II to go to the theaters and watch this presented on the big screen. And they have this incredible general. They love this guy, but he's no longer no longer going to be their leader. And they want to honor him. So they have this big number all prepared for him and a way for him to, to know how much they love him. Of course, you know, he's one of these big, tough military types. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, you, know, you guys, you rough around the edges. and blah, blah, blah. But you just tell he loves these guys to death. So there's this moment uh, where Bing's life gets saved by Danny Kaye. Danny Kaye is just this ordinary guy, sees talent, wanted him to put Bing Crosby, who's named Bob Wallace, this big named singer. Everybody knows Bob Wallace back in the States. And he wants to make sure that this guy sings for the troops so that the boys can have a little bit of home. Well, at the end of this scene, Danny Kaye ends up saving Bob Wallace's life. And so he convinces him, you need me. There's, it's not a solo act anymore. You need the duo together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you've seen the movie, you know how, the, but we had to make sure that you got the connection because it's that military connection that sticks from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. And it makes it really important. Um, I, I really have moments in the film where I'm like, this is so cheesy and campy, but it's like, it's like a Christmas cookie. It just brings you comfort when you watch. Right. And some of the songs and the dancing and this woman, I actually looked it up because other women notice this. I don't know if guys notice this, but the woman who plays the sister of Rosemary Clooney, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but she is this tiny waist. And I had to look it up. It's one of those where you're like, this is insanely tiny, this waist. And if the camera adds 10 pounds, she had a 21 inch waist. Wow. Which is on record, I think, the smallest of any Hollywood actress ever. So if you've ever gone, is she just real skinny? Yes, 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 she is. The answer is yes. Rosemary Clooney being the aunt of George Clooney. Some people don't know that. Oh, it's true. Anyway, the two sisters, they they do life together for a little bit with Wallace and Davis. It's a whole story and thing. And Sisters is a fun song to watch. If you haven't seen it, you can YouTube the song Sisters. And then when they sing the song Sisters to try to help them out, Wallace and Davis, I'm talking about Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye singing that song. It's it's quite funny. I was always entertained as a child. But I digress. There is a moment at the table after the siblings and Wallace and Davis have met. And Rosemary Clooney's character and Bing Crosby's character are sitting at this table. And he looks at her and realizes that what she's telling him is, we have met under convenient circumstances. They thought that they were there to help out an old army buddy to watch the sisters and their act. Turns out the sister with the tiny waist, she had tricked Wallace and Davis to getting there. And Bing Crosby's character says, you know, everybody's got an angle. And that does not set well with Rosemary Clooney's character because she was honest with him in that moment and said, I need to tell you the truth. You were brought here under false pretenses. I just found out uh, my sister pretended to be our brother and sent you that letter. And he said, well, everybody's got an angle. Oh, that's 
that's kind of a sad outlook, isn't it? Mm. But it's not necessarily wrong. Mm. And it pops up later in the film. And I just, I found it to be very interesting. It just hit me. Even when you're doing something with integrity, we've talked about altruism. Mm -hmm. And you still might have, hey, I don't want to manipulate people, but I do want people to know about my Jesus. I do want them to know about my Savior. There's always going to, quote, be an angle in that regard. Do I have integrity? And we've talked about the heart of the matter. Am I doing this in line with what God wants as opposed to I'm going to try to make this thing happen and I'm going to get it done no matter what I do to make it happen? Can I truly do a selfless act? We've talked about that on past past podcasts and saying, okay, is that even a thing? Is there truly a selfless act and does it have to be selfless? I think there is some beauty in being able to receive some of the warm fuzzies that you feel after doing a kind act for somebody else. How do I also differentiate? And I'm bringing this up because let's talk about it. How do I differentiate the angle from no, I am truly seeking to help somebody else right now, my own career, perhaps my own business. I'm not trying to be manipulative per se, but I do want to quote, sell the product Do I mean, where's the line here? Well, one thing that I think I, I we all have to realize is when you talk about an angle or an agenda yeah, that Christians that's another word. will get, will get accused of, oh, it's all about well, usually what follows from an, from an unbelieving world that's mm-hmm. typically from a uh, uh, scarred world, uh, people that uh, have feelings against the church, against Christianity. And it's typically, yeah, always got to do this because they want, pe- they want to pad their pockets or they want to, you know, and if I am genuinely just trying to let people know of a, of what I think is an ultimate truth, then I have to just let all that negativity go that's coming out of the mouths of other people. Cause mm-hmm. it, it might even help you, you know, freeze me into place of like, well, I guess I better not do anything. Mm. Like it's, it's, in fact, I heard a story on how we can get in our own heads. A pastor that we've had on this show before, mm-hmm. he would get to the uh, church early and would clean up the parking lot. Well, then he thought one day, oh my gosh, when people drive by and they see me cleaning the parking lot, are they going to think that I'm cleaning the parking lot just so that I know that they're seeing me clean the parking lot Yeah. so that they think that I'm a good guy? Yeah. So I better not clean the parking lot. Wait, wait, wait. It is way too confusing now in our heads. Is cleaning the parking lot the right thing to do? And were you going to do it because you wanted to? Then just do it. Then just do it. No, but you can obsess about those types of things. Right, right. And some of that can be unhealthy. I do have obsessive compulsive disorder. Those kinds of questions have plagued me in the past. Mm-hmm. And then doing what you said and saying, wait a second, what does my what was my heart at the very what beginning? What was your of initial intention. Which sometimes can be hard to decipher because you do get stuck in your own head. You do get stuck in those thoughts, but there are those people. That does not mean that there are not those people who do, hey, I know that person's going to drive by at such and such a time. I'm going to make sure I'm out in the parking lot and they can see it. Well, and that's, and here's a physical way of preventing that. If you know that there's a, you know, let's say church starts at nine 
you were out there at 830, but you know, so-and-so always pulls up at 830. Well, then do it at 820 (laughs) or do it at 835 after they walk in the door. I mean, you know, there are things that if you want to physically prevent yourself from even being able to go there. Yeah, that's good. Then you physically prevent yourself from doing so based on the time. And that's that's like people outside of your own home. But you're, what you're saying, I'm even thinking about, hey, have I ever timed it so that my husband, Sammy, can see me doing this thing mm. <laughs> that I know he really wants me to do? Uh-huh. I want him to catch me in the act of doing it so he knows I really am doing it or whatever. Yeah. And that's not necessarily bad. I'm not saying I'm trying is, to the marriage is just such a different ball game. I don't even know. But is my heart in the right place if I am doing it that way? Maybe I'm trying to catch him in his stuff. Well, maybe it's just that we need to communicate better, right? So the agenda, it's interesting. We that can go two ways, can't it? We hear all the time, not just about, okay, well, the Christians have an agenda. We accuse other people who are not of the the Christian faith. To have an agenda. Yeah. And so what would give us the, you know, how would we fend for ourselves in that conversation with others? Will you accuse us of having an agenda? Well, it just comes down to what do you think ultimate truth is? Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, what I think that's where apologetics come in of just defending what's true Mm -hmm. because yeah, you know, you see these people that, and I'm not saying it's not okay to be into politics at all. It's great to be into politics. I mean, it's important in so many ways. But the people that clearly like just live for it, mm-hmm. like that's all that it, there is. That's their faith. That's their faith, yeah. right? And and so, well, that's when you have a conversation of, well, what's true? How did we get here in the first place? Mm-hmm. Policies are important, but is it everything? And you and can't so, get back to a bottom line, really. Define that. What do you mean? If you, like you said, we can always go back to what does Jesus say? Mm-hmm. And in the political world, yeah. you have your own. I guess your own conscience. It's pretty subjective, right? Which is guiding you and saying, well, this is right and this is wrong. And yeah. clearly there are two sides who 100% disagree. I say two sides. There are obviously more than two political parties, but the main ones is what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is. And and so it, it, that makes it more difficult if you're not reading the same from the same gauge gauging system. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess just to go back to my my ultimate point of, of, of people accusing Christians of having an agenda, I, you just got to laugh it off because when I invite my friend to church and uh, I just want him to know about Jesus and the, the accusation usually is, well, you just want people's money and you just want blah, blah, and you want to control people. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't, in a lot of ways, I definitely don't care if he ever gives to the church mm-hmm. that I go to. I don't care about other people's giving habits of other churches. I don't care in some ways if he comes back or not, because he could, if he wants to go to a different church, then great. I have no will to control what he believes. My intentions are right. I just want to share this thing that I think is completely true and I think changes lives. And then you yeah. laugh off all the ne- negative accusations of agendas. I think um, the words that Rosemary Clooney's character shares with Ben Crosby at the table, that's a pretty cynical point of view. He's accurate. But it, it obviously came about because he's behind the scenes of the entertainment world, the industry. Everybody's trying to sell something, get on stage, get a piece of the action, whatever it may be, maybe, and, and relate that, translate that over into whatever world you're living in. Because it's everywhere. Everybody's got their own, however they're going to make it up the corporate ladder ways. Uh, but there's this incredible turnabout in the film that shows Bing does not have 
an agenda when he wants to help this this general friend. So I just want to share a clip. They have surprised the general. He has been down on his luck. In fact, they discover years later after serving him in military, in the army, um, that he is now the owner of this hotel. It's in Vermont. It's a ski lodge. It's not in a good way right now. They're losing money. They're hemorrhaging money because there's no snow at the ski lodge. Mm. And so what Bing Crosby does is he he puts it out there on TV and says, if you know who I'm talking about, if any of the men hearing my voice know this general, please come to where we're at. And he tells there are to be no cameras. We are not making a dime off of this because it would have been amazing publicity mm, mm-hmm. for the team, for his uh, Wallace and Davis team. But I, there is no agenda. And look at the rest of your appearance. You're a disgrace to the outfit. You're soft. You're sloppy. You're unruly. You're undisciplined. And I never saw anything look so wonderful in my whole life. Thank you all. He walks down this aisle where he has on either side of him the men who served under his command in the army. And they are there to honor him. And he gets into that general mode where he's barking at him. And he's just, you know, like he did at the beginning of the movie. And recognizing how beautiful this moment is. And his whole family is blessed that, you know, these famous people did this for him. And with no money attached to it. Just because. Mm. And so the cynical point of view grabs the reins and says, you know what? There is no agenda to what I'm going to do today. And it was just this redemptive part of the the film. And I love that. There's also this sweet little song in it, not White Christmas, even though, yes, that's obviously. <laughs> another song. Stop. Sorry. There's another. This song has been featured in other films as well. But he sings Counting Our Blessings. Just listen to a few of the words. When I'm worried and I can't sleep. I count my blessings instead of sheep. I fall asleep counting my blessings. When my bankroll is getting small, I think of when I had none at all. And I fall asleep Counting my blessings. It's so true that there is peace when we praise, when we choose to release things over to the Lord. We are no longer grasping it white knuckled and stressed. We have laid it at the foot of the cross and can grab hold of good rest. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So when I am troubled, and I'm laying there in bed. And how many of us can relate to that? We just start, God, thank you for this today. Because I probably didn't thank you for it in the moment. Hmm. Thank you for this today. I choose to praise you in the midst of troubles right now. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet today. But God, I saw the sunrise today. Thank you for that. And there is something so magnificent. You know, Carter and I, we do a radio show. And we were talking about um, the importance of good rest and how a body Uh, that is physiologically connected to breathing in and out and and is ushered in a physiological presence of peace, if you will, 
There is no room for anxiety. There's no way a panic attack is going to happen in the midst of a person whose life is calm in the moment. How do you get there? Breathing, sleeping well, good exercise, being out in the daylight, sunshine, and prayer and praise gets our focus back on what's true. That's good. I like that. Um, one one uh, blessing that I'd like to recognize is also how he sings. That, if you ever need to fall asleep, well. It's nice. It's very nice. Anything to Bing Crosby. He sounds like he's half asleep most of the time he's singing. That's... I will never forget when I saw this film. It's an old movie. Not, not as old as this one, White Christmas, but it, it featured... Sylvester Stallone, it's called Oscar, and there's this moment where Marissa Tomei, he walks in, it's like in the 20s, he walks into his daughter's bedroom, Stallone sees Marissa Tomei, what are you listening to this garbage? And it's Bing Crosby <laughs> on, the, on the old mega, yeah. megaphone. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> these kids these days. <laughs> All right, so I watched Miracle on 34th Street, the 1994 edition, and I, I just love it. Um, one of my favorite Parts of the movie is when uh, she tugs on his beard. Yes. Yeah, and he's like, oh, and she goes, oh, <laughs> it's so cute. Um, I just right up front, I mean, some some crazy spiritual truth that right up front that caught me. The, uh, he's Santa Claus, for some reason, just strolling New York, just Spoiler living his life, alert. right? Uh, I mean, he, he admits he's Santa five minutes <laughs> in the movie. Anyway, so he's, he's, he's the real one walking around, and here comes the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and the guy that's playing Santa is a hack. Yeah. And uh, the real Santa gives him the what for. You any idea how many children are watching you at this very minute and you're drinking? Just give me back the whip. Let me tell you something, young man. When you put on this suit, you represent something that has a great meaning and significance to millions of people all over the world. <laughs> now, I could overlook your poorly manufactured jacket. Uh, and then and then he takes his flask, he pours it out, he gives this stranger a lecture and even really damages some property of his. And it struck me about righteous anger because we see Jesus uh, at the temple overturning the temple tables uh-huh. of the people that made God's house a den of thieves. And it gets really confusing. Are we allowed to be angry? Did Jesus sin in his anger? All these questions come mm-hmm. up. And even back to a couple of years ago where there were riots to, uh, there were there were just protests to talk about something, an injustice that had happened in our country. Right. But then some, not all, but some turned into rioting. And you heard people say, this is just. We, we are emotional and we can riot because it is for a good cause. And it's a whole lot of like interesting questions philosophically and, and theologically wise. I don't think theologically is a word. And I think it is. Maybe it is. So <laughs> Santa here, mm-hmm. of course, in this movie, is the real Santa. Mm-hmm. He alone has the authority to be able to do this to somebody that's that's an imposter, really. Right. And Jesus, that was his, that was his father's house. Mm-hmm. In essence, this is his property. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, if I go home today and somebody has set up a pawn shop in my yard, yeah, I have the authority to throw those tables to the curb, much like your child has a toy and it's uh maybe they're throwing it at people, or maybe it's just time to retire it. You have the authority, you bought the toy, you have the authority to do what with it that you will. And so when it comes to did Jesus 
sin in his anger. That really reminded me of that. The only person that could have gone up to this stranger at a parade in this scenario and done that to this individual is the authentic thing himself. Mm. And so we see Jesus justly doing what he did, but it's not an excuse for us to be able to go anywhere and go, well, it's for a good cause. Here, let me destroy this. Do you own it? Then you can do it. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. When when you played that clip, but also that I I love the thought that Santa has the has the authority to change that because he is the owner of the real suit. Yeah. But it also made me think about when you put this suit on, it represents something to so many others. Sure. And so I'm thinking about putting Christ on every day. That is my identity. Yeah. And 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 essentially when you read through the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it never says to take it off. So hopefully once I put Jesus on, I don't take him off. Sure. But when I am wearing the name of Christian Christ in me, following after Jesus, that represents something very special, sacred. And I should take I should take that very seriously. Yeah. That's God's name. And so we've even talked about how uh, when people take God's name in vain— the truest definition of that, it's like carrying that banner, his name. I am carrying the name of Jesus. Yeah, it was more about in Exodus 20, I think. It was more about how are you representing him? Am I representing him? In a port- not necessarily speaking per se, but you obviously you can do damage that way too. Taking God's name in vain, but you are literally carry is what it means. Carrying. Yeah. His name, but I have no right to be carrying it. Why? Because I'm a fraud. Mm. Just like that guy who was a fraud in, in the Santa suit. So it's like a cautionary thing to me. And yeah, Jesus had the right to, he knows, honestly, he tells us to leave. He he tells us to leave all of that kind of stuff really up to him. Leave it with him. Mm. Yeah. And he made up justice. So he really knows what it looks like. And unless I 100% know that Jesus said, Sure. Let me put a pause on my reaction here. Sure. Let That's me true. respond in a Christ-like way. One other scene, um, pretty pretty upfront, is when uh, Santa is is there at uh, his his big chair, and they just got it started with Coles. He's the new Santa, and he tells one little boy, "If you do exactly as your mommy tells you, then uh, you'll get whatever you wanted or whatever he asked for." And even Santa, as sweet as he is places a heavy burden on us. That is a, cause that is such a, we get, we, you know, we feel warm when we see something like that. But if you really think about the words, if you do dot, 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 then you'll get dot, dot, dot. And I love that Jesus, it's, it's his yoke is easy. It's even easier than that. Cause Jesus knows already that we won't do it, that we can't do it, that we can't be perfect in any way. And so he says, even then you'll get dot, dot, dot when you simply trust in me. It's grace. Yeah. Yeah. And even Santa isn't giving that. I love Santa. I love this movie. I'm just saying. He's Santa Claus. He's not Jesus. He's not Jesus. (laughs) Even Santa has it a little harder than Jesus does. So finally, I think just one thing to just kind of uh, uh, overarching theme of this movie. I love how Dylan McDermott. Mm Mm-hmm is a believer and the whole movie is Dylan McDermott is the lawyer. He's the, he's the guy that lives yeah. next door. They eventually fall in love. Sorry, I ruined it. What? I know it's been 35 years. 
<laughs> or close to it. Um, so he, um, he clearly believes and you get in a situation like that and you're like, is he, is he just wanting the little girl to just not forgo the magic of Christmas? But time after time, he just seemingly like he believes in the big guy and he's so patient and compassionate with unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And he may even, I think that's, I think it's a really good illustration. If you have somebody at work or a family member, and it's been a long time of you living out your faith and, and by no means doing it forcefully, but maybe you even get annoying occasionally because you talk about church again mm-hmm. or you bring up, you know, I'll pray for you. Maybe it even gets a little annoying. Again, in the best way possible. He is that. He exemplifies this the whole movie. He patiently is trying to show that Santa, this guy's legit. You should trust him about your Christmas gifts. And even to, to the mom, to Elizabeth Perkins character, right? Right, right? I mean, it's even like, hey, we got something here. And they just don't, she definitely doesn't believe until the end. I think I call her Matilda, <laughs> that's that girl's name, <laughs> the little girl. But Matilda believes about halfway through, I think, if I if I have that right. And it's to me, it's just a perfect example of how to patiently, persistently, not forcefully live out and even mention your faith to the people that haven't believed yet. Yeah, and he unconditionally loves this lady. Yeah, totally. So that's a thing. We hold that over on people too when they don't agree with us right away. I know I have a, t- a tendency. It bums me. When I've got something, and this this is true for anybody, I would imagine, when you know something to be true, let's say you found the best steak. Sure. This steakhouse, this is the best steak I've ever had. And they won't try it? No, not going to try it. Why? Why wouldn't you just try it? Just try it. Just try it. It's so aggravating. You make me so mad. Now I'm not going to be your friend anymore. (laughs) But he's their friend. He continues to go on. He continues to be their friend. He continues to love this family. Yeah. And treat them with tenderness. And I do love his character. There is the ultimate line in the film for me. And it made me go, huh. Because this was in 94. I graduated high school in 95. So that should tell you th- that age, that's where I was at, kind of figuring things out. I, I'm working on making the faith that I see in my parents my own faith. Mm-hmm. And he says, is it better to share a lie with a child that draws a smile or the truth, which draws a tear. And I remember going, oh, mm. that's the thinker. And there are some people who wouldn't even bat an eyelash and give their answer, whether it's yes or no, <laughs> like that. And I, I still... You know, I've talked about you can share truth in love and maybe even omit some of the things. It's like, hey, this brisket, thank you so much for bringing it. <laughs> thank you. What you did was, was very so nice. Awesome. What you're not telling them is it this was is the, the driest <laughs> thing I've ever tasted. So, yeah, but I also, I'm like, don't want to lie about it either because nothing gets solved with lying. However, we've talked about that even in scripture. Well, there's we, the precedent for being okay to lie is yeah. if you're saving a life. If you're saving a it, life. You know, hiding Anne Frank, being in the Underground Railroad. Sure. These are good reasons, and, and you can find scripture on it too, Good re- with the Rahab and all that, it, good reasons to lie. That's literally the only good reason to lie <laughs> is life saving. So it's not necessarily about Santa Claus. So it would be, I think, finding, yes, 
not sharing all that need, not sharing the unnecessary things. Now I'm not talking about the gospel here at all. Mm. I'm just talking about life, but not sharing the unnecessary things. If it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, but if you're asked about it, I, you know, we, we, I've, I've walked away many times and felt stupid when somebody clearly handled me with kid gloves because Mm -hmm. they lied about it. Yeah. No, you've got to. And you're just like, just tell me. If you respect the person and they are, and you know, they're in a place to receive it. So you don't have to omit, you Mm -hmm. know, the brisket information. Mm -hmm. If I can be honest with you, I think it could have been moisture. Right. But the flavor was on point. Find the things that you can affirm, but say, I think it could have used this. But you know what? That's even the lesser part of this. The most important thing you thought of me, you know, there's a way to say it. Um, And I also really love the scene with the judge at the end Mm -hmm. where it can, where the dots have been connected. The dollar bill has been given, presented to the judge. And he sees the word in God, the words in God, we trust on the back of our currency. And to me, as a Christ follower, I'm like, look, you just affirmed the existence of God in this film. Mm-hmm. And that made me happy because clearly they're affirming that this is the real Santa Claus at the very end of the film. You see, okay, yes, it really was him. He got her the house. There's a sister or a brother on the way because she's preggers. Right, right. You know, all of this stuff. So anyway. Well, um, a sweet moments. And again, I, I, I would be amiss if we did not celebrate... <laughs> Forgiving you. Come on, Carter. We are gonna miss sitting at the cool kids' table with the baggy jeans. Yeah. And well, we don't have to miss it when we do the Christmas story next year. We're done with the Christmas (laughs) movies. (laughs) 